0: Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-host in life, my beautiful wife, my partner in No Crime, Yet Committed, that we will admit to. Her name is
1: Just Jen.
0: And you're along with us as we keep this Hope train a moving on down the tracks.
1: Choo-choo!
0: Love it. Love it when you do that. You do the best choo-choos. I just got to say that. (laughs) Choo-choo. Like I'm sincerely jealous that you get to do that, yeah. I feel like that's a moment of light. It's a moment of fun.
1: How I do the choo and then you do the choo? Let's try it.
0: Like it's a tag team? Like we do it together?
1: Choo. Choo. See?
0: No, do it better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Choo-choo.
0: You started to do it with me. Okay, one more time. Third time's a charm.
1: Choo! Choo! <laughs>
0: there you go. It doesn't quite come off. It was a great idea, but it doesn't quite come off the way that I had hoped it would come off. That's
1: okay. But at least I
0: get to participate. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for trying to allow me to participate. My pleasure. Now you sound like we're going through the Chick-fil-A drive through.
1: I want to. What? I want to. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I would love to get a chicken wrap.
0: A chicken wrap? Yeah. Is that a hint?
1: Yeah, well no cuz what well, Are you
0: trying to send me a message right now?
1: It depends on what you're making me do after this.
0: What am I do I ever make you do anything?
1: Yes, everything.
0: No, can anybody make you do anything? No. So, their invalid response the first time. <laughs> you are a strong-willed, stubborn Italian woman. So, my ability to make you do anything is is
1: fleeting. Yeah, my famous quote is, "Nope, not doing that." <laughs> Nope. <laughs> and I'm pretty strong about not doing it.
0: You are obstinate. Yeah. Sometimes cantankerous.
1: Yep. I, I do not succumb to peer pressure. That's for sure. You do not. I do you know. are
0: not a peer pressure nope. preyed on person.
1: I'm more like if everyone else is doing it, I'm not doing it. Like,
0: you you want to go against the grain.
1: Yeah. Like everyone has tattoos, but I am not getting a tattoo. I'm going to be rare.
0: You know, I I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that you go against the grain. I always do. Is that like conscious or is it like not conscious?
1: It's just Jen.
0: It's just who you are. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it kind of reminds me of the conversation we were talking with with Gavin, you know, going against the grain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go against the grain. Sometimes going against the grain, depending on the situation, is maybe not the best idea, but you just got
1: to. I always choose that, though.
0: You choose the road less traveled. Yeah. You choose the harder path. Yeah. Is that why you picked me?
1: Yes, (laughs) definitely.
0: (laughs) I thought you picked me because you thought I was a nerd that had some potential.
1: Yeah, that. I mean, that is truly why I picked you.
0: Really? Yeah. Because I was a nerd that had some potential.
1: I thought you were a nerd and I just knew you had potential in you. Really? So I decided to choose you instead of like a super popular person. Because it's going against the grain.
0: And what happened to the super popular people that you could have chosen?
1: Well, you know.
0: Sometimes life don't work out the same (laughs) way it did in high school, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) True that.
0: (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes the people that you prioritize in high school are not the people you prioritize 20, 30 years later, right?
1: No, I wish kids knew that. Yeah, I wish
0: wish there wasn't so much. I I feel like in today's world, especially with regard to social media, there's so much pressure. uh Uh-huh so much visible pressure on people's lives there's so much of people's lives that everyone can see and thus everyone criticize and thus everyone make a fuss about and so much for kids to obsess about and or worry about you know I just wish they knew that you know 10 years after high school none of it none of it matters anymore really it totally doesn't two years after high school it doesn't matter I'm
1: hoping all of our boys date the nerdy chicks
0: you want our kids to date nerdy girls?
1: Yeah, they're going to be the smart ones, making money.
0: Oh, so you want you want our kids to find sugar mamas?
1: Yeah, sugar mamas.
0: Is that is that because you don't have faith that they'll be able to you know launch out into the world and take care of themselves?
1: Well, they have options,
0: <laughs> right? Sugar mamas give them options. Yeah,
1: the you know r- the road less traveled.
0: Well, I I guess I didn't do it right.
1: Yeah, I was no sugar mama.
0: You weren't a sugar mama, I'm a huh? hippie.
1: Hippie gypsy. I have zero nothing.
0: No, you've got everything.
1: <laughs> See? And that's what I hope you got my every- boys find.
0: You got everything I need.
1: Yeah. Money means nothing.
0: It doesn't, unless no. you need money, and then it means everything.
1: No, you don't <laughs> need money. You can barter. <laughs> like at uh, the Burning Man, they, what? they barter and trade.
0: What do you know about the Burning Man?
1: The Burning Man?
0: Have you ever been? No. Would you ever want to go? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I I don't think you like dirt that much. I
1: I was going to say, I want to go, but I don't want to get all ashy. Ashy? Yeah. Is it ash? It's ash from the Burning Man. No. Yes, it is.
0: It's like white desert powder. No. It's not ash.
1: It's ash from the Burning Man.
0: Well, context here, for those that don't know what the Burning Man is, it's like some sort of celebration festival where a whole bunch of
1: you burn man interesting
0: people get together but yeah and then they have a in an effigy a a burning man at the end of it but the here's the point of it is that we live in northern california and it seems like we always see the after effects we see these these rvs coming Mm -hmm. down cars they always have bikes bikes. yeah they always have bikes (laughs) attached to them dressed up you know crazy looking decorated bikes it's
1: like a it's like a parade
0: and all of these all of these cars look like they've been five hours through the worst white dust storm that you've ever seen they're they're it's caked ash. in white dust it's ashy it's not
1: ash it is
0: you think so but
1: anyways they do barter and trade you're not allowed to use money there so you have to have some kind of trade or you, you have to do something like say i am teaching yoga well people will trade me for maybe they make bracelets so they can, I'll teach them yoga. They give me bracelets. Like, I think that's how life should be. I think we
0: should go. Okay. I think we should experience it I don't want to get dirty, but I'll go. You, I know you don't like dirt. There's no showers and stuff. So you, we would take a trailer. I, would I like
1: dirt. Like, you like dirt? When, since when do you like well, dirt? hello, trail runners. I don't mind dirt, like mud, but like, that's like a different, like you have to see it. Yeah, it's just it's nasty. you don't like it when
0: you get dirt in your eyes and ears I feel and... like
1: you would inhale all that. I don't want that. You don't want that. Yeah, I well, mean... it's kind of
0: what we're dealing with right now in California, right?
1: Exactly. And that's why we left for Mexico. <laughs> so we didn't have to deal with it.
0: All right, moving on. Let's uh, let's get on to joke time. OK, are you ready to tell funnies?
1: I am ready to tell the funnies.
0: Um...
1: Are you ready for the funnies? I'm
0: ready for your funnies. So you go ahead first. You, you start the funnies. OK. All right, here we go.
1: What do you get when you dip a kitten in chocolate?
0: Oh, what do you... Oh, a chocolate cat, a Hershey... A, I feel like it's, it's some sort of a candy bar or something. I don't know. What do you get?
1: <laughs> a kitty cat bar. See? <laughs> I love Kit-Kat bars. Oh, my gosh. Break me off a piece of <laughs> that Kit-Kat bar.
0: Here's my performance in that joke. <laughs> I should have totally got it. I was on you the right totally track. You
1: totally should have gotten it.
0: I, I should have got it. You know. I
1: could go for a Kit Kat bar and some Chick-fil-A. All
0: right. Well, maybe that will happen after we get done with this. But the reality of it is, is it's my turn to tell a joke. And now oh. you need to listen. Oh, you get a turn? Yes. Oh, okay. I think so. <laughs> All right. So uh, how do you make an octopus laugh?
1: Um. Oh, my goodness gracious. You t- How do you make an octopus laugh? You tie all eight legs together.
0: No. You make an octopus laugh with ten tickles.
1: <laughs> uh, not nine?
0: No. It's okay. got to be ten. Nine tickles does not sound right.
1: It should be eight tickles. Why? Because they have eight, eight tentacles. <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'm not an octopus fan. I don't. I know nothing about. Do they have eight?
1: Eight, yeah.
0: Maybe they have. Maybe some have ten. No. It maybe that's some crabs are blue. Some crabs are that's true. White. That is true. Some lions are brown. Some are white.
1: Yes, but octopuses have eight tentacles. Well, sometimes sometimes God
0: gives them extra.
1: Yeah, I got extra. He gave me extra.
0: All right. Well, let's let's move on to our interview here. How about that, right?
1: Let's do it.
0: All right. I've got Dr. Rob Bell coming on the show. And this guy, written five books. He's a sports psychologist. He works with high-end athletes, um, all kinds of different athletes. Why hasn't I, he called me? I know, really, right? <laughs> he should be calling you. And uh, he, he works on their mental toughness, their, their, their mindset. He works on, on coaching them through adversity and I thought what a great guy to have on our show somebody that knows about adversity works with the the peak of the peak in terms of the athletic community to help them sharpen their sword to be the best that they can be and now you're getting all excited what are you saying
1: he can help us be on Bear Grylls' show, the Endurance Fiji Race. Eco Challenge. Yes. You
0: want to talk about a crazy, he runs like Ironmans and triathlons and things like that, but I've never seen anything as challenging as that Eco Challenge.
1: Yeah, well, that's what he's going to help us do.
0: You really want to do that?
1: Um, until I start crying.
0: Yes, I agree. <laughs> until there's a hill and then you start, you start whining first and then you start crying.
1: Yeah, but I still go. I just need everyone to know that I'm whining now. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay, well, anyway, we'll have to we'll have to ask him about that <laughs> okay. when we get the chance, but we're going to have him on. I'm going to call him right now, and I'm going to get him on the show. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right, I've got Dr. Rob Bell on the line. Dr. Bell, welcome to the show. How are you today?
2: Good. Thanks, Sean, for having me, man. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, I'm excited to uh, have you on the show, excited to talk with you, because I think your message is going to resonate with... Uh, with our listening audience and so i'm eager i'm 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 excited and i know for you like much of your story began when you were in college you you had an event happen to you in college that just uh, shook your world and changed your your life exactly so why don't you uh, just go ahead and set that up for us Uh, you know what happened and uh and share that with our audience here sure man you
2: know i was a athlete always growing up and I was a baseball player. That's why I love baseball. So I went to a small division two school in uh, West Virginia. And uh, on the way there, kind of my senior year, I developed and found this thing called partying. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> found that.
0: You know, I've, I've, I've touched it a couple different times. I think I have encountered it once or twice.
2: Yeah. Well, it's out there if you want to find it again. You know, so <laughs> It found me and if it was a class, I mean, I would have got an A plus man, because I was an all or nothing guy. And, um, you know, when I, that really just started, you know, I just wanted to have a good time. So when I show up at college as a freshman in college, I have baseball on one hand, I have party on the other, no accountability. What could possibly go wrong? And it's, it's very early in the semester, my freshman year. And in West Virginia, there are a lot of bridges. And the reason why they have these bridges is because there's cliffs. And so, and then whenever I'm speaking to my audiences, especially my collegiate athletes, I always just say this, Sean, I say, look, nothing good happens after midnight, right? I mean, you live any way you want. <laughs> nothing good happens after midnight. And so this is obviously after midnight and it was near this uh, cliff, ended up walking off an 80 foot cliff. What? I didn't jump. I wasn't pushed. I, I just had absolutely no idea where I was. And so I kind of hit once and I'm laying at the bottom of this crevasse. I'm conscious during the whole time. They have to crane me up out of it and take me to the hospital where my mom is a nurse. And she's the oldest of 11 Catholic family, like no sympathy on me whatsoever. She knew where my path was going. So this happens on a Friday. Bam, I'm back to school Monday. And when I show up at school and it's a division two school, it's not too big, but now I'm that guy. You know, Oh, my God, that's the guy right there. Like, you know, people pointing their fingers, and that's the guy that fell off the cliff. And now I'm that guy, and, and you know, uh, Coach talks to me and says, you know, somebody's looking out for you. And I know, Coach, I appreciate that, man. And, you know, I made a mistake. It's not going to happen again. He said, but, uh, you know, you're not going to be playing ball here. So, boom, hinge moment. And I call these hinge moments because I think, you know, every every door has a hinge. You know, if we hear about doors opening and closing in life, it's because of that hinge and tragedies that happen in our life, they're immediate hinges because from that moment on everything is different. And baseball then was no longer there. I didn't know about mental toughness or being able to have how to how to come back and then and then now I'm in a lot of physical pain as well of emotional pain, but no one I screwed up, no one I made a mistake. Uh, but then the blessing that was in there too, I always find our worst moments becomes our best moment and I found that time and time again with so many different people that our worst moment ends up becoming our best moment because in that the good was in it is that I took a psychology class that I knew when I took that psych class what I was going to do for the rest of my life was kind of tattooed in my soul and uh it was definitely a long journey to get there but I always felt too that I had um a gift of gratitude after that because when When I realized that I should have died and I was given another shot, I wasn't going to blow it. And I wish I could really say though that, Hey man, that was it. Like I got back together. I wasn't drinking or partying or anything like that. And the reality is that I, I continued it. You know, I was still at school. Now I'm in a lot of pain. How do we get rid of the pain? Well, we, we medicate. My medication at the time is, you know, was drinking. And, uh, you know, it was April of still my freshman year. Now it's at the end of the semester. So I start my semester falling off an 80-foot cliff. I heal, get back, and I end my semester by being in a single car, drunk driving accident. And I drove and, um, you know, I mean, hit the windshield. And, again, another situation where I should have died, man. And that was, uh, you know, my injuries weren't as severe, but, you know, I was in the hospital for a couple of days, um, but I shouldn't. Another situation there, man, where I should have died, and that was a the situation there where that moving vehicle—you know—I I, could have hurt somebody else, and that was the part that I never wanted. And yeah, so it took these two—it took these two by four moments for me to finally get it. You know, you gotta—you gotta hit me over the head with a two by four in order for me to get it. And you uh, know, I was really thankful, man. But I, again, same thing—I wasn't going to blow the, the second chance that I got, and. Um, Okay. i end up eventually getting sober, and then nowhere wants to go
0: with my life. Let's let's unpack those moments just just for a second. I want to go back to the the fall that you had. Um, so yep. reading between the lines, I, I'm I'm assuming that you're at a party, you were probably uh, drunk, and you're just walking because you you just you're unsure about where you are, and then you just literally what what surprised me is you said you just literally walked off. You know, like you just walked yeah, I off walked the off. cliff. I
2: had no idea where I was. Yep.
0: Do you do you remember? Because I've been I've been curious about this with with one other person, and, and I hesitated to ask the question. But do you remember? Because like when these types of events happen, you know how time slows down. Like it literally, like a yeah. second can seem like a year. So, do you remember what you were thinking? Like you knew you were falling, right? Did you did you, like what what was going through your head in that moment?
2: So being conscious during that whole thing, and I remember, um, I remember hitting for the first time, and I remember thinking, "I'm falling." How far and, down was that first hit? Boy, it's really tough to say. So if you kind of look at it, so it's not a straight drop. I mean, it, it was it a little bit. Like you could climb down it, um, but I mean, it, it would have been—I mean, that's tough to say. Probably thirty feet, you know, where I hit yeah. once, and when I hit. I hit my head. I remember that. Um, and then just there at the bottom, you know, I at least wiggled my toes, but you know, my arm was fractured. I uh, had a big gaping head wound. that was just gushing blood. And uh, boy, my back was, um, you know, slowly going numb. And uh, I remember the whole, the whole time, you know, I was down.
0: Was anybody with you or were you alone?
2: No, there were, there were a couple of people still uh, up top there. I mean, the thing was is, you know, kind of separated from the party, just, you know, we went to go get high. And yeah. so there were four other people, there were four other people right there and um they hustled and, and thankfully, you know, were able to call and, and get the emergency personnel there. One guy ended up making it down there in the dark. I don't know how he did it, but there's a trail that kind of leads down there and he was able to find it. And he got down there, and he was with during that whole time. And that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was huge as well, man
0: easily, easily could have paralyzed you, easily could have broke your neck, easily could have died, you know, like with that kind of a, of a fall. I had a friend of, of mine have a similar experience. And so in our area, Northern California, if, if you drive about three hours, you can uh, head up into Nevada and there's, there's a place called Sand Mountain in uh, Nevada. And so if you just imagine this, you know, probably two mile long, 700, 800 foot tall, uh, Mountain of nothing but sand. It, it literally looks like, y- you know, God took a handful of, of sand and dropped it in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't look like it should be where it's at, but it's a huge uh, attraction for people with uh, ATVs and dirt bikes and sand rails and and things like that. And so a, bu- a buddy of mine um, had gone up there for Thanksgiving. And, uh, very similar to you, uh, alcohol was his, was his, um, you know, way to, to deal with whatever was going on, stress in his life. And so he, he got himself pretty drunk and he decides that he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, take a ride up the hill and, and just do it at, at, you know, a, a pretty incredible speed. And, and the problem was he didn't know when he'd reached the top. And so he just had this thing pegged and just launched you know, he probably, again, uh, likewise was 70, 80 feet up in the air and, um, you know, fell for a while and and landed and broke his collarbone, broke uh, his arm, uh, fractured some ribs and some things like that. And it's just, it's just crazy what can happen if, if you're, you know, if you're not all there, if you're not able to pay attention, if you're not, you know, have all your senses with you.
2: I thought this was a podcast about hope.
0: <laughs> it is. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that.
2: Yeah.
0: So, uh, kidding, man. yeah, no worries. And, and so anyway, this, you know,
2: and that's the point. Can I, can I elaborate on that? Yeah, one? go like, ahead. You know, whatever, whatever our viewpoints about Lance Armstrong are, you know, and I know we all have them, but he had a quote that he said, if you ever get a second chance of life, you gotta go all the way. And I always felt that was such a sacred remark, man, because, you know, when we do get that second shot, I think that's, that's our real opportunity. You know, we have the life that we, that we learn with, and then we have that after the lesson. And I just never forgot that man always kind of helped that, uh, near and dear in my heart, man. But go no, ahead.
0: sorry. No, no, I, I think that was awesome. And I, I think that's very similar to, um, I had a, another guest come on and, and they were talking about their life and, you know, significant adversity that they had, had gone through. And this particular person, uh, she said, this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And I think that's a huge perspective shift. It's, it's just an, an acknowledgement that sometimes these really horrible occurrences, that they didn't happen to you. You're not the victim. They happen for you. You're the benefactor. You're, you're going to realize, if you, if you seek it, you're going to realize something positive out of it. I, I believe that. And so sometimes these events, you know, I, I look at your accident, and twice, like you, the 80-foot cliff and then the, the driving accident where you hit the windshield— you know, both of those were wake-up calls. You know, it's the two-by-four. You know, I've, I've said that, too. God has to hit me upside the head with a two-by-four sometimes to get me to pay attention or to listen or to finally get it. And I think that's what happened to you. The, those events could have saved your life. Had they continued to go, the next one could have been the one that took you, you know? And so I, I, I do yeah, believe that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I, I, I think.
2: I, call so, him, I Go ahead. I either say it's a it's a wink from God or a nudge from the judge, like you you
0: pick <laughs> a wink from God. You know, I call I've had somebody else say God winks too, God whispers, but a, a nudge from the judge. I, I like that. that. That's the first time I've heard that one. That yeah. one's that one's awesome. So we back want
2: to, we want to go with the first one. Yeah.
0: So back to your college days. So you so you were just finishing up the story. So you have the accident, and that's at the beginning of the of the of the year, and at the end of the year or the, or the semester or whatever you you get in this car accident, and you said, you know, it was a two-by-four moment for you. So, is that where you then stopped partying, stopped drinking, or, like, what what was the revelation that came with that?
2: It was, man. I mean, you know, alcoholism was always big in my family, and um, you know, it was just one of those things that just kind of, it was just part of the culture and and us growing up, you know, and um, I just, I wasn't going to blow it again. That was the main thing. I wasn't going to let that be my legacy and that was the main thing. You know, there's enough pain there that I was willing to do whatever it took.
0: I get you. I can I can feel you. So as somebody that is uh, sober now since 2009, I can totally relate. It, it took me a few more years than you to, uh, to get there. But part of the overriding reason for me to choose sobriety and to stop drinking was my father. I'm an only child. My father was an alcoholic, but he was one of these happy-go-lucky kind of... Alcoholics you know he 'd get drunk and he 'd just be silly and goofy and fun and that kind of thing he yeah. was he was he, you know but like i I watched that and then I emulated it when I became an adult and so for me, having four boys, it was ex- extremely critical to me to break that chain, break that cycle and so in two thousand and nine um, that was last time i've i 've touched alcohol haven 't had a, a drop since and and I think for the same reason i didn 't want my legacy to be one where alcohol was attached to what I taught my kids.
2: You know, my son, I remember, um, it's the same thing, you know, I mean, you, you know how it is. I mean, with that, why I I just never wanted to expose to it. And I mean, I always think like, there's nothing wrong with it. Like if drinking's your thing, right? Like that's fine. Life without it, I don't really think you miss anything. I think we think we're missing things. I just don't think we miss anything. I mean, I think people have a harder time that I don't drink than I do, You know, people that drink because I think I make them uncomfortable or something like that. So, um, which is fine. I don't mind uncomfortable moments, but, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, again, it's a blessing.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I do, I do think that's the case. I thought I wouldn't be nearly as fun or couldn't have as much fun without alcohol. And, and I think it takes you getting some distance to realize that actually life is a heck of a lot more fun without it. You know you don't have to yeah. deal with the hangovers yep. you don't have to deal with the after effects you don't have to deal with the worry okay, how am I going to get home I'm driving while i'm drunk or this or that or the other thing, or what kind of an example am i am i setting and and uh it's fun to watch drunk people though I will tell you that <laughs> so <laughs> when you're sober <laughs> well, and you're sometimes. you're around a whole bunch of them sometimes it can be fun, yeah, you're right, but uh you know I get it and um you know i'm I'm just glad you 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 made that choice and so let's let's talk about where. Because I think you were just starting to talk about, you know, that was really those two moments where your hinge moment, it led you on a, on a path and a course that you never would have been on without that. And that led to sports psychology, right?
2: It was, man. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the hinge moments, it's, it's that one moment, one person or one event that makes all the difference in our lives and just connects who we are with who we're going to become. So that's where, you know, if we hear these doors opening and closing in life, if you look at every door has a hinge. If you ever hear of like a rusty door, it's not the door that, that's rusty at all. It's the hinge that's actually that's rusty. And so the small hinges are what opens big doors. And, you know, sometimes we might not know a hinge has happened until weeks, months, years later. I think we're going to have multiple of them in our life. But, but it is the tragedies that happen they the immediate because from that moment on, everything's different.
0: Everything is different, and I, and I love that analogy. You're the first one that I've ever heard talk about, you know, doors through the hinge perspective, and I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. I think it's a really cool way to look at it because, again, the, some of the biggest doors out there have small hinges, and some of these hinges can be monumental in terms of either opening or closing a door, and... Um, I think it sets a really good visual. So what is it about sports psychology that attracted you? So I know sports is is obvious. You were big into that. But that mental toughness, that psychology component, did you learn that through your recovery, through rehab, from the accidents? Like where did you you get touched by that?
2: I mean, I think I definitely learned it uh, through recovery. Um, I mean, I was the athlete that always thought too much. You know, when things were good, I was good. When things were bad, I was horrible. I was like, who's going to show up today? Is it going to be Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga? <laughs> you know, there's no, con- there no, no consistency at all in my performance at all. And when I took that psychology class, I mean, I was so dialed in. And I was like, um, you know, I did have the blessing of being intelligent up to the point where, you know, I could kind of get by. But when I took that psych class, man, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Now, I'm going to incorporate this somehow in sports. And then when I was starting to get into it, that was the same year where it was these Dan and Dave commercials, the Rubik commercials. And what the commercials were all about was, hey, who was going to win the gold medal at Decathlon in Barcelona? And so it was a I mean, fantastic idea because they took an obscure sport and then put it on the national stage. And so it made you root for one, like Dan or Dave, who's going to win? And so as I was following Dan O'Brien, you know, we had this little formality in the United States called Olympic trials that, you know, obviously, I mean, even Olympic trials with swimming, um, Hey, only two go. And so you got to be the best. And with Olympic trials that day, Dan O'Brien is on world record pace and he comes up against the pole vault and he ends up no hiding. So meaning he goes from first to last. And he doesn't even make the team. Reebok pulls the commercials, and then I started following his career at that point. I cut out his story from uh, the Washington Post, living in Maryland at that time, and I saved that because I was like, how, I, I don't understand how this happens. How does this happen? How is the best not even go to the Olympics? Like The commercials are saying, like, who's going to win? And it was that point that I started following his career, and then in-depth, he started to see. Sports psychologist. He started to see a mental coach, somebody that could help him with his routines, with his confidence, with his focus, and how to let go of the And, you know, he ends up winning the gold medal at uh, the next Olympics in Atlanta. And that was where it was solidified that, you know what, man, it's not about the setback. It's always about the comeback.
0: Yeah, I think that you remarked, um, I was reading that you had remarked that he – had said something to the effect, I pity whoever comes up against me in the next four years. It was like this shift in his head that that setback... Was really something that at that moment he resolved. There is nothing that's going to stop me from from doing this in four years. And and I and I I agree with you. That's like a profound moment to see somebody go from the bottom of the heap, but yet to have that conviction, that that you know attitude. That I pity who's ever whoever goes up against me in the next four years.
2: You know that's where I think the champions do possess that that ability, and um, it's about how well we do after that adversity hits, how well we do after that big fall, how well we do after that no height or that failure. The things that they never tell us is this. Is if you're going to say, hey, fail, and fail again, fail faster, and that all sounds great. What they never tell us is this, is that when we fail, it's not just about that failure. It's about, it brings back every other failure that we've made before in our life all come flushing back. And the part that we have to overcome is that negative belief about ourselves and the story that we tell ourselves. So that's the thing that I really believe. It's like, if we can just overcome that one mistake, that one piece of cake that we eat if we're on the diet, that one time we miss the gym, it's the next time that we show up. And that's where the real mental toughness gets built. It's not necessarily in... You know, when we eat that piece of cake, if we're on a diet or something, you know, we throw up our hands, say, ah, screw it, I blew it. See, I knew I couldn't do it. And all the failures that we made in the past come back instead of looking at it as a lapse. And all right, man, tomorrow, or instead of eating that piece of cake, what do we do? We throw up our hands, screw it, I blew it. I'm going to eat the whole damn cake. (laughs) And that's not what it's about, man you know, about what happens after
0: that. If, if Jen was here, she'd say she's all about eating all the cake, you know, she, she, but she would never do that, but she would love to the idea of it. She's a super fit gal. She's, she's really into running and, and a regimen, but she says when she turns 85, she's going to eat all the food unrestricted. She's just going to, you know, by the time she gets (laughs) to 85, she's just going to eat it all. But, um, you know, like there's a contrast between the two of us. And so we've been married for 26 years and dated for five years before that, four boys and high school sweethearts and all that good stuff, but she's, she's a, she's a planner. She's a, she has to write out her day, plan her day, et cetera, in order for it to work right for her. But the crazy thing is it's funny that you keyed in on that because you were using a food analogy to talk about mental toughness and, and consistency and things like that. If her Monday doesn't go right, like it affects her whole week. Like, she's got to start Monday diet-wise, food-wise, you know, and it, and she's got to be nails, and then she can continue the week, and it, and it's awesome. But if Monday doesn't go right, then both her and my second oldest son, Gavin, you know, the the mindset is, well, Monday failed, so this week's off the table, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to indulge Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Like, it, it upsets them. Me, on the other hand, if my Monday doesn't go right, man, I, I look at Tuesday like it was Monday and go, okay, I'll just start over, and I, and I move forward. I think that's what you're talking about. It's like you clean the slate – and maybe you use that, that deficit, that defeat for a little fuel moving forward, but you you, you don't you don't wallow in it. You don't latch on to it, you don't use it as the excuse to to then be be you know mediocre for some period of time moving forward.
2: It really is, man. Like you know, I always love this one. Like yesterday, it ended last night. <laughs> it really did. It ended last night. You know, our failure, it's a bruise, it's not a tattoo, man. It's not our identity. I do not believe that we are made to throw up our hands and say, screw it or to have our failures be our representation of ourselves and our ability to adjust. I think that's what champions can do is they adjust. I mean, if you look at it, look, nothing's going to go according to plan. I like this one. If I if I can share it with you, man, it's plan on your plan, not going according to plan. <laughs> it's how we, it's how we adjust, man. It's it's that's the piece, that, that agility mindset that we need to, to be able to keep coming back and be able to overcome.
0: So how do, you, how do you cultivate that in people? Because you are a sports psychologist, you work with professional athletes, so how do you cultivate that for somebody that isn't used to thinking that way? You know, because I'm sure we've got people listening to the show right now that aren't accustomed to thinking that way, so how, how do you bring that out of somebody?
2: So again, man, I'm a, I'm a little bit of different cat when it comes to this stuff. And I think there's a lot smarter people than me, but what I think are a couple of beneficial mental skills that we need to have with perspective and gratitude. So how do we work on that perspective of gratitude? Yeah, we can have that gratitude jar and we can remember it and all that stuff's great. But, and, and I think that's an awesome skill and maybe it ends with there, but you know, again, I'm an Iron Man. I love doing ultras and the reason why I like doing that is because what I think we need to do is we need to create these situations in life that are difficult. And what I think we need to do in the very first thing in the morning, I think the first hour of the day sets the rudder for the rest. I think that's the time where we got to do the really hard stuff. And so there are more in routine, but what are we doing in life, man, that's really challenging that we get to choose to do? And the reason why is because when we start putting ourselves in these kind of situations voluntarily, that's where we start to strengthen our mind. And we're going to fail along the way, right? We're going to hit that snooze button and we're not going to get up. But to be able to look at it and say, man, like what, what, what was going on? Why didn't I want to get up? Is that just, I just got to hit it and go up? Like, you know, get up? Is that as simple as that? And only when we can look at how we're responding in these tough situations is it going to transfer into life. Because life is going to throw it at us harder than whatever kind of self-imposed that we can make. So the way I believe, the way that I think we train our mind is we put ourselves in these difficult situations. We do, this is where I think we, we balance it out. Mental toughness is doing what you don't want to do. You know, yeah, man, I'd like, I'd love to sleep in. I think that'd be great, but I know that's not the best thing for me it's kind of like junk food Let's get back to the food analogy, right? Oh man, yeah. Chips are going to taste good, but I'm going to feel awful afterwards. And, um, that's where I think the mental toughness comes into play. It's doing what you don't want to do. And I think doing it the first thing. So, I mean, like in life, it's, it's going to be sales calls, right? Man, I don't want to make any sales calls. Bam. That's what you got to start with. So it's doing the things we don't want to do and then doing what we want to do, but doing it a little bit better. How can I approach this? How to you know, be creative, but how can I get myself just a little bit better, With this task. That's how I think we build the muscle. And that's how I think then we're able to deal and handle and cope with life when when that adversity is going to hit us.
0: I think you're right. I think as the longer you live, the more you go through stuff, you know, even if you're not seeking out discomfort yourself actively, life will throw you opportunities to embrace discomfort. And I think that that's really what's happening right now in 2020. Like you don't have to look far to have You know, 500 different reasons to feel anxious or worried or angered or, you know, unnerved or uncertain about the future. I mean, this is the year of the pandemic. It's an election year. It's social unrest. It's wildfires. It's natural disasters, hurricanes, like everywhere you you look, it seems like there's a barrage of of events happening that are causing people to reflect and change and be uncomfortable and, and and look at things through a new perspective and i and i they call it the great pause you know when this all this started they called it the great pause i think it's actually the great shaking. I think it's, I think we're being shaken up and put in a situation where we can now view things differently through a, through a different lens. And, and I think you're right. If you, if you can rise above that, the more times you've overcome that adversity and then reflect back on it and go, wow, you know, um, I think, you, what did you say here? I wrote it down. Our worst moments become our best moments. That perspective only comes when you look back on your life and view something that happened to you that you felt was really traumatic and challenging through a different set of lens
2: now having lived through it. You know, we can't tell the significance of a moment in the actual moment, everything that we're going through here. Yeah. We know it's it's significant it's a hinge moment, right? Cause everything is different after that. But yeah, time plus perspective is what gives us that significance. And I totally agree with you, man. It's, um, uh, you know, why, why is it that our worst moment? And if we listen to it, you know, people that get sober, um, people that were that have recovered, they, they wouldn't change it and they don't change it because I think that's where the miracles then take place. And I, that's what I'm in life for, man, is the miracles.
0: So what, what are you learning? Because I mean, you, you're on the front lines of dealing with and interacting with people that are at the top of their game. And so like what, what, Nuggets have you drawn from working with this caliber of athlete that applies to the situation that we're all dealing with right now with all of this, um, you know, uncertainty about the future, like athletes aren't certain about a specific outcome, but they have the, the, the mental toughness. I think, as you allude to, they, they have other attributes that help them, you know, fight the fight, embrace the challenge rise, you know? So what have you learned, um, you know, in your career thus far from these high end top of the, of the heap athletes.
2: Where, where can we start? Right. I mean, it's uh, I think my athletes have helped me out more than I've ever helped them. I think that's the real gift in life too, is I think, and again, same thing with our kids, right? I think we learn more from our kids about ourselves than than they learn from us because what do they teach us? Right. They teach us about our level of gratitude. They teach us about our level of patience and, um, and there's a good one, like when it comes to patience, right? I can't wait to be patient. The skill that I think.
0: <laughs> I, I, I got the I subtlety that of that. It took me a moment, but I got yeah. the subtlety of that.
2: Good, man. The uh, I've got a little British wit in me. <laughs> the, I like it. The I think the best skill, it kind of ties into being in the moment. And what I mean by that is. All kind of fear, it's all rooted in the future. It might be two weeks down the road. It might be a day. It might be 10 minutes away from here. But the fear, the angst, the anxiety, it's all rooted in the future. Or we're looking at the past as a reason why we can't be successful or or as our past failures. It's not rooted right now. And that's the part that the athletes, the best athletes, they do such a good job of being able to focus on the process and what they're trying to do that the outcome becomes a byproduct. It becomes so focused on the climb that when they reach that mountaintop, it's just part of the process. And that's what I think is a skill that translates into a real life. And if I I was to ask anybody, anybody listening to the podcast, right, think about the problem that's going on right now and it's usually focused on the future and we're trying to figure that out in our head and what that's going to mean, and what maybe what other people are going to think and what's going to be the strategy for it. And, and it's fine to strategize for things, but it's like, it, it's not right now, you know, that's, that's two weeks from now. And that's, then it's just getting back to, um, trust and belief and, and a focus on, you know, what we're doing the actual moment. And, and one thing that I always kind of take with me, if it's, if it's on a long run that I'm doing 30 miles or something like that, I always remind myself of um, you got to bring it back to here and now because just because mile 17 is bad, right? So let's say, you know, August was a horrible month for us. It does not mean that September is going to be awful. It doesn't mean October and November are going to be awful. It has no bearing on it. And that's the part that we got to realize is like every single one of us, we have that second wind. It's going to be there if we keep moving, if we keep fighting for it. And it's guaranteed to happen. And then what our job is, our job is to focus on the journey, focus on the process. And and I always think, too, man, we got to be enjoying it along the way. Because the, the valley that we go through, the really, really tough times, even though we don't want to go through it. Like, I don't want to go through it. I don't want to have a bad week. I want this week to go nice and smooth. But once we go through that stuff, that's what I think makes the gratitude and perspective and appreciation even better when we come out of it.
0: Oh, I agree with that 100%. You know, I I think that you you have to reframe how you're thinking about events. I mean, like it 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 doesn't how do I want to say this? It it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen, but in my own life experiences, some of the most challenging times I've ever lived through been involved in. In the moment felt unbearable, but the re- reality of it is is with perspective and time, many of those moments became significant blessings in disguise. And I think that's really what I'm trying to communicate. And part of what you're saying is that I love your point about fear. Fear is always about the future. When you think about fear, it's it's like you're not afraid of the past because the past is certain. You know what the past was. It's past. It's gone. It, it is what it was. You know, there, there's nothing that can jump out and, Ski what you're afraid about is tomorrow, the next moment, something similar or something worse, or you know contrasting it I, I I love that, and I think that it's it's instead of lamenting that often these moments these challenges become a springboard to growth and success and and thriving, rising beyond it learning the lesson, and then thriving after you know the beauty out of the ashes scenario and I think if you've been through enough of those events and certainly sports sports athletes have you know whether it's injuries or challenges or you know like it's it, it comes down to one performance after four years as to whether or not I make the team and I don't make the team it's 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 not that event it's it's how they they respond to it how they rally from it their experiences says you know what that won't happen to me again I'm gonna make sure that that I'm, I'm gonna learn this lesson
2: you you ever think about having your own podcast man that was well said buddy <laughs>
0: You know, it's occurred to me. It has, you know, I, all kidding aside, you know, I, I just think it's it's the wisdom of life experiences. You know what I mean? Like if if you yeah. reflect back on the challenges, I I think that there's a key component to growth and it's it's always self-reflection, you know? Like you you got to be able to contrast where you are and what you've experienced with you know how it affected you and where you want to go, and I think that that those you know athletes always are looking at performance. They're always evaluating. They're always statistics. There's always you know averages, etc. And I and I think that that comes you know for people that aren't athletes in, in normal life. If you if you reflect back on those challenges, if you've been through enough of them, you know this is just a season. It's, it's not going to last forever. You know, but ha- but but man. my attitude toward it could, if I don't reframe it.
2: You know, and there might be people listening and thinking, "Ah, I think that's pro athletes." See, what I believe though is, I believe that everybody is an athlete. Our office is just different because if we think about an athletic mindset and what that means, well, as an athlete, you know, you show up, you you prepare, you uh, you're going to have losses, right? I mean, we're going to have more losses than we are wins. You know, that's just that's life, right? And but the biggest part about an athlete is you compete now. I think when we hear the word compete, we might be thinking about, well, beating an opponent or being better than somebody else. But that's, that's the lie, man. The, the real truth is, is who are we competing against? And that's the most difficult opponent. That's the one that has a strategic advantage over us. Knows my weaknesses. Imagine trying to beat somebody on one on one when they already know what moves you're going to do. Like that's how difficult it is to beat ourselves. And that's, that's the real. Athletic mentalities. Who we're competing against is our own mind.
0: No, I That's love why that. I say
2: everybody's an athlete.
0: No, I, I, I agree. And, and even taking it a step further, the, the 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 subject of mental toughness applies to everyone, regardless of their physical acumen you know like i i think you're talking about you know many of the attributes of professional athletes that give them the success that they have is that mental toughness game they've mastered or are trying to master their ability to to control the mind over the body that the that they understand that the mind is so central to the body's performance and if you can strengthen the mind and have that mental toughness the body will perform amen it reminds me of the uh i just saw a movie with um Will Smith, it's a movie where he comes up against the younger version of himself, you know, like it's just, it's mm-hmm. a fairly recent one, but it's, it's almost like what you're talking about. Like if you're, if you could imagine that somehow, some way that you're competing against the best version of yourself that knows everything about you, like, how do you, how do you handle that? How do you, how do you rise? It was, it was an interesting movie to, to say the least. Um, but he, it was it just remind, when you were talking about that, it, it made me think about that uh, movie. I wish I could remember it
2: that's the most difficult opponent because you know who wants to compete against ourselves anyway, right? We want to disconnect. We want to distract. We don't want to go into the war and be able to look at ourselves in the mirror. But the thing is, is at some point, man, we're going to look at ourselves in the mirror and it's not about the setbacks in life, man. It's always about the comeback. That's why I always say it's puke and rally.
0: Puke and rally. (laughs) (laughs) nothing more simply said than that puke and then rally
2: that was uh that was my name and most recent book man just just got released
0: puke and rally i love it you know that's not that's not a reference to your partying days right
2: no it's not (laughs) how to extend our weekend celebrations not how to make our athletes tougher it's that look we've all puked and, and what does it take to rally
0: yeah, that's uh, the, the puking and rally. That's what happens on leg day when you haven't been working out for a while and you decide you're going to get back into <laughs> into fitness and you, and you start with leg day. There's undoubtedly going to be some puking going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, man. It's good. Don't skip leg day.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't skip leg day. You don't want to be that guy. So, uh, y- you know, as we close out the show, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, undoubtedly, there's going to be somebody that's listening that's dealing with their version of a hinge moment. You know, I imagine all of these restaurateurs. I like for some reason, ever since I started this podcast, I imagine some guy out there, I, I don't have any context for this, but some guy that had three to five thriving restaurants pre pandemic. And now he's in a situation where he's looking at his whole empire falling or a gym owner. You know, I know there's the guy in our local area that was advertising his gyms, I knew he had five or six of them. And I thought of him several times during the pandemic, don't know him personally, but I just thought like, what is that guy doing? Like, how is he, like, how is he handling this? Because all of them are shut down. And so somebody listening is going through their version of a hinge moment, from your experience, mental toughness, dealing with athletes, you've written five books. Like, what would you say to that person to help them get through this time?
2: You know, that's a that's a really great question. Because, you know, what happens, and people have asked me this, what what do you say to somebody that just lost a big game? And and I realize this is more important than any kind of game, but it's, well, I always ask them, what would you say? you know, there's not really anything I can do to help people take away the pain. And the part that I think is important, man, is to be able to um, be present with the pain. I think it's okay, man, to uh, to get sad. I think it's okay to get angry. I think it's okay, to, man, it's not fair. You know, that part's okay. It's just how long are we going to stay in that space? And what I do know to be a fact is that, if we do not give up that we will be successful because I've seen it too often. And the way that I see it is people that have um, built successes. And now because of our situation that has been shut down, we've got to rely on the confidence and the belief in ourselves that we can do that again, and how it's just going to look different. And we don't know how the dots are going to connect looking forward. Nobody does. We can only connect the dots looking backwards and seeing how the impact of, you know, that, that moment or that person had. And the message then that I want to share is this, is no matter how bad our situation is, no matter how bleak an outcome looks, it only takes one. It's only going to take one investor. It's only going to take one call. It only takes one person or one moment to make all the difference in our lives. The thing is, is we just don't know who that's going to be. If we stay in it, that's how I know that we will be guaranteed success because that one will will happen. And that's the real importance of mental toughness.
0: I love that. Very true. Very appropriate. I agree. You know, it's that, it's that mindset that no matter what happens to me, my most significant moment could be right around the corner. And the acknowledgement that, too, you know, I'm a guy that had a financial services practice for 22 years. You know, you asked me five years ago. I thought I thought that's how I was going to sail into retirement. That I was going to be doing that for the longest period of time. And and I just got to a place where I I just felt like God was calling me to do something different. So I completely upended my life and started doing something that I had never done before: flipping houses. And so I think that there are people that will go through a transition where maybe some chapter of their life is ending. Maybe that is the business. Maybe it's the gym. Maybe it's the restaurants. Maybe it's whatever. But if they hold on to the idea that the next chapter could be the most significant, that the, this happened to provide the opportunity for them to touch their, their destiny, their purpose for being here on this planet for their, maybe the next thing that comes is 10 times more significant than what just was shattered. And I think if somebody holds on to that, that's hope. I think, uh,
2: I think faith sometimes isn't really faith until it's all you've got
0: true well said very well said if you got nothing left that that's when your faith is truly tested and I and I think oftentimes those are the moments where it's easiest I think the challenge with faith is when everything is going well to stay as connected as you do when everything is lost when when you don't have anything around that's the challenge
2: can I uh, can I share a quick story on that one yeah so it's, it's real quick, but it's kind of like a joke. But, you know, on that, you know, a man is uh, is in a crowded – this is pre-pandemic. So a man is in a, a, a food court in a mall, and he's got his tray, and it's really, really crowded. And then he kind of looks up to God and he says, God, please, you know, can you help me find a place to sit? And then he looks down, and he sees an open spot and sits down and says, never mind, God, I found one. You know, yeah, when things are good, man, we think it's all us. <laughs> it, you
0: know, it's not it at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's a great story. Well, Dr. Rob Bell, you've been a fascinating guest. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you for your perspective and your wisdom uh, based on your life experiences and working with athletes and you know your mindset toughness. Um, I, I, I took away many hope nuggets out of our conversation today. So uh, I'm thankful for t- for you to take the time and. Come on our show and uh, be part of our of our mission here of spreading hope.
2: Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you, man.
1: So I want to hear all about it. What did you think of that interview?
0: Well, it was fascinating. I know you were not able to be here because you had to deal with some issues with our school, with our kids' attendance and the distance learning with intermittent Wi-Fi things. So, yeah. Anyway.
1: seriously, they call and leave voicemails and emails every single second that our kids are not going to school.
0: Well, I will tell you that you missed a fascinating interview because he, there were several hope nuggets that Mm -hmm. I, that I absolutely love. So I'll share two with you. Number one, he said, our worst moments become our best moments with time. So, and I really connected to that. So if you think about some of the worst challenges that you've ever faced in your life, I mean, for him falling down an 80 foot cliff. Like he literally walked off a cliff. I told him the story. We had a friend Mm -hmm. at sand mountain that launched. Oh
1: my goodness gracious. Yes, Right.
0: So I told him that story. Yes. And, um, and then he had a a car accident that, you know, those two things were like a two by four across his head. Like Mm -hmm. those were worst. Those were bad moments, but they ended up sparking his purpose in life. What he ended up doing professionally, which is becoming a sports psychologist. And um, so I I just really connected with that. You know, I think we've lived that. Our own worst moments in life with time and perspective and the work have become our best moments. They've been blessing in disguises. So I I thought that was really, really good. And then he shared something that I'd never thought about before and had not heard before either. And that was that all fear is rooted in the future. Hmm. In other words, when you think about The mindset of fear. And whenever you're afraid, Mm -hmm. it's about 10 seconds from now. It's about 10 minutes from now. It's about an hour from now. It's about two years from now. It's it's this perception about the future. It's it's rooted in a concern about the future. So for example, you're never afraid of your past. No, because your past is gone, it's done, it's history. You know, you can't change it. There's nothing that can be changed about it. But you are that fear is rooted in the future. And so when you, when you understand that, you can bring yourself to the present moment. You can go, okay, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm fearful right now, but I'm going to sit in this moment. In this moment right now, I need not be afraid, mm. right? And so yeah. I, thought, I thought that was good. And then um, I think the basis of his, his books was a very interesting concept that you talk about the, the doors of life, you know, opening and closing on you. Right. So you're going to have doors of opportunity, doors of adversity. You know, some will open, some are close. Well, they're all hinged. They're, they're doors open with a hinge. And he said, it doesn't matter how big the door is. The hinge is always so much smaller. So he calls them hinge moments in life. Him falling off the cliff was a hinge moment. Mm-hmm. His being in that accident was a hinge moment. And I think for a lot of people in, in 2020, the year of the pandemic, that's going to be a hinge moment for them. It's going to be, it's shaken things up and it's yeah. and it's, and it's creating opportunities. It's, it's opening some doors, it's closing others. And I thought that was an interesting concept that regardless of the size of the door, the hinges are always smaller. And these hinge moments, when you reflect back on them, usually lead to big door openings, mm-hmm. big door closes, et cetera. I thought that was awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really, really good interview.
1: Well, I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing.
0: You will have to do that i highly encourage you to do so because it was it was awesome lots of hope nuggets in there he is a hope dealer let me just tell you that
1: you know how i'm gonna do it how i'm gonna ask alexa to play it for me while i'm folding laundry yes
0: that's a great idea or if you're out on a run you could go to you know soundcloud you could go to apple Podcasts, and you can say you know hope radio podcast you'll Mm -hmm. find us there you could subscribe you could listen to it then see you could listen to it while driving, while running, while biking, while rowing, while cycling, while mountain climbing, while folding cutting down laundry. a tree and folding laundry. Yes. That's awesome. I love that. Now, if people want to get more connected with us mm-hmm. via our socials. Our socials. Not our social security numbers, but our social, <laughs> Our socials.
1: Our socials. Social
0: media. How would they do so?
1: They can reach out to us on Hope Radio Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
0: And send us a direct message if you're a hope dealer yourself. Yes. If you've got a message to share, we would love to talk with you. If you know of somebody that would be a great hope dealer for our show, we would love to to be introduced to anybody that you think has a message that would resonate with our listening audience. So please yeah. uh, send us a message, connect with us, like and subscribe. Five yeses. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you would be so kind. If you enjoyed it, if you didn't enjoy it, you can. You can not leave us a review. Yeah,
1: and kindness matters. So. Kindness does matter. Be kind. Be kind. Or rewind. Or, Do you remember that? No. Be kind and rewind. It was on the old like VCR tapes when you'd go to Blockbuster. Oh. And it would say, be kind, rewind.
0: You're dating ourselves.
1: Well, I like Blockbuster.
0: There's some people listening go, what's Blockbuster?
1: Well, they should learn about it. <laughs> they no longer exist, but I always love that. Yeah. I never rewound them either.
0: The lesson to be learned there is no matter how consistent something is in your life, change is always occurring. And Mm -hmm. at some point, I mean, I remember going to Blockbuster in the video store all the time to look for new movies. It was like Friday. It was always new movie day. Yes. The new movies, VCS, VCR, and you remember beta tapes?
1: No. What happened to them? What are beta tapes?
0: It was VHS or beta. You had two different options for tapes.
1: I don't know what beta is. Wow. Isn't that a fish?
0: I guess I'm. Two and a half years older than you, that's why.
1: No, beta. It's a
0: fish. It's also a bad guy on Walking Dead. Beta? Yeah. There was alpha, and then there was beta.
1: Oh. Oh my gosh, that's what that means?
0: Yes. Number one, number two, Alpha, Beta. No way. Are you just connecting that? Yeah. We've been watching The Walking Dead for how long and you're just now connecting that?
1: Yes. Really? Alpha was the girl? Yes. And Beta's the big guy?
0: Yeah, he was her number two. He was her right hand.
1: I never put it together that it was Alpha, Beta. Really? Isn't that a grocery store?
0: (laughs) No, that's Albertsons. No,
1: Alpha, Beta. No. Alpha, Beta. I've
0: never heard of a grocery store called Alpha, Beta. Oh my gosh, Google it now. All right. Anyway, I think we should do another podcast. What do you think?
1: I think Alphabet is a store.
0: Jennifer, we're trying to stay focused here. <laughs> Shall we do another podcast we or what?
1: Sh- we will do are another we? podcast. Are we
0: going to do another one? Yes, tomorrow. Here's a preview of our upcoming episode number 84. The next episode of the Hope Radio Podcast.
2: There will be things that people do with restaurants. There will be things that people do with gyms. There will be pe- there are things people are doing right now with training that we'll look back and go like, "Holy cow, that's such a great idea! Why didn't I think of that?" you've got to try to become that person you've got to figure out how can i pivot and change things some restaurants you know right away started having their wait staff uh, do home delivery maybe some of them can become so good at home delivery that they never have to open the restaurant again but all they do is is serve people via takeout because there's going to be a lot of people who just never want to go back to to restaurants